Welcome to PTBC Podcast, where we will be speaking about innovation, technology, growing your business, and maximizing your entrepreneurial potential. Let's get down to business. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the PTBC Podcast. This is Slava, and I'm joined by Sarush. Hey, everyone. This week's guest needs no introduction, as is the omnipresent Daryl Yardley, but we will introduce him anyways. So Daryl's the ultimate trailblazer of the physiotherapy profession, at least from the business point of view. He's a chair of the CPA private practice division, teaches business and entrepreneurship at Western University, and also lectures at McMaster, U of T, and Queens. He's the co-founder of Entry to Practice Essentials, the first Canadian PC study guide. He founded Mentorship Bootcamp, which is a coaching program for physiotherapists to focus on business acumen and increase their performance both clinically and financially. He's also the advisor of the Clinic Accelerator, where he works with clinic owners and coaches clinicians to improve all aspects of patient experience outcomes and to drive improved clinic performance. He does it all and then some. In addition, he's involved in numerous projects in our industry and he's still practices clinically, who has the time. (laughs) So he works as a consultant in collaboration with the orthopedics and neurosurgery. He's also an educator and author in these two fields. But currently, he's the managing director of health disciplines and quality and risk management at the Brand Community Healthcare System. To find out more about Mentorship Bootcamp, you can visit mentorshipbootcamp.ca. And for the CPA Private Practice Division page, you can go to cpaprivatepractice.ca. All right, it's time to get down to business. Thanks for the opportunity to come on to the podcast with you guys this morning. Pleasure to have you on. Uh, Thanks for coming on. So your career has been uh, pretty rich in a variety of settings. And for those of you, for those who don't know you, can you highlight some of the parts of your journey and how you got there? Yeah, sure. So I think maybe I'll, what I'll do is I'll break it down for you guys from <clears throat> clinician to business owner to kind of where, where, we, where I kind of got to now. Um, so I think like many, many new grads coming out of school or, or why I kind of got into the field of physio, um, you know, was to be compassionate, empathetic, and I just really wanted to help people. Um, so I started out my career where I was a clinician. I knew I was going into orthopedics. Um, I was, you know, the one guy in physio school that really didn't understand what cardio rest was and what neural was. And then by the time you graduate, you realize that all that stuff is actually extremely important. And it's, and I practice more neuro in clinic sometimes mm-hmm. than I do orthopedics. Um, but from there, my, my, I have was very fortunate to be a grad from U of T. So I was mentored by Easton Young very early in my career. And, and I was you know destined to be like Easton and complete my fellowship in manipulative therapy as kind of as quick as I possibly could. So I finished that in about, three years after graduation and and that sort of has taken me into a a role more of clinician into consultant and then obviously an educator and author in my in some of my clinical skills as far as my my spine and hip practice goes Um, but during sort of that initial clinical journey for me is um, I was pretty fortunate to be with a a small startup clinic Uh, it was a it was own it was a sole PT owned practice um, just outside of Hamilton um, and my goal or my job in that situation was to eat everything up clinically, be mentored. Um, but at the same point in time, I didn't quite realize where I was getting some of the business mentorship at the same time. So I, I learned how to sustain the practice of what this individual PT uh, was able to achieve. And then from there, our goal was to grow this practice, um, you know, more that are higher or better than where when I started that Fortunately for me, I, I was able to be successful there, and, and my next journey uh, was okay. We have a new, we have another clinic that needs somebody to fix it up. It's it's not doing well. It's performing poorly. It's you know financially draining money. Can you can you turn this clinic around? Um, and I was again, I was fortunate to be surrounded by quite a few strong mentors. And uh, and going through my my postgraduate training, I also had a lot of strong mentorship as as you kind of go through your level system. So. Um, I, again, I was able to do that. And the next, the next situation was, you know, we have a new startup. Uh, we need somebody strong to do this. It's going to be built on relationships with physicians. You know, can you, can you do that? Um, and again, that's sort of where I got fortunate enough again to, to sort of evolve into my practice around, you know, this orthopedics and neurosurgery focus that I have. Um, 
and again, during that time, it was kind of a really interesting um, startup because when I when I initially started with the one clinic, it was you know that standalone clinic, but eventually that clinic was sold into PT Health, which formed a large corp. Um, and I was there for about six or seven years or so. And and during that time, I was fortunate enough to um, you know have the opportunity to do you know build a mentorship program and work with a lot of new grads across the country. And during that time, I, I'm pretty sure. I, I think we hired about 50 new grads and that's really what started some of my passion for, for mentoring and, and ensuring that our, the youngest and brightest in our profession are coming up and, and starting off extremely, um, extremely well in, in a successful environment. Um, but my move from the corporation into um, a network was, you know, a 15 clinic network that had 60 or 60 orthopedic surgeons as partners for me was just another opportunity that I wanted to to be a part of and, and leverage and really drive a collaborative effort between medicine and rehab. Um, during that time, though, for me, what I found which was really interesting was I was I was good at driving business performance and and outcomes for these clinics. So you know we we were able to build clinics and uh, and patient caseloads well and quickly. Um, but where I was struggling was. I was making a lot of money for other people and for myself, I was, I was doing well. I, I can't complain about that. I was making, you know, I had a good job. I was getting paid very well, but it, to me, there was more to this, to this industry. Right. Um, so that's sort of, I think a, a cool little topic for, for us today is around this entrepreneur versus entrepreneurial standpoint. And I, and I believe when I started early, I, I really was risk adverse, right? So for me, I needed, you know, as a, borderline millennial kind of Gen Y guy is I wasn't happy just to, you know, to be a PT for the rest of my life. I wanted, I wanted more and I wanted, you know, as you guys can appreciate, we like that recognition and this autonomy to build something. Um, but I wanted to build something within cause it was less risky. So that's where the mentorship program started with PT health. And, and then from there it was, you know, building a development program into the large network, building programs with the surgeons but then to kind of go back to realizing that there was some skills that I had that um, I wanted to, to share further, um, that's when I started to dive into more of the entrepreneur side and realize that it's okay to take risk and you have that opportunity to, um, to make a difference and identify gaps and come up with solutions in the industry. Um, and that's sort of where, you know, going from building a mentorship program to creating a program and, and, find, and founding Bootcamp is really where we sit right now. Um, but I think if, you know, from a volunteerism perspective, that was something that was really important to me early on and, and through, um, and I'm sure you're going to have some of these individuals on your podcast in the near future is, you know, some of the mentors and the individuals I looked up into in the industry, um, Wendy Coombs in particular was the current chair of private practice division when I just recently graduated. Um, and Wendy had said, suggested that I should take on the chair of the private practice division. And, and because, you know, I had so much respect for Wendy, I thought, geez, that's got to be a good opportunity. Um, six or seven years later, you know, you're still the chair and, and, and it's exciting to have, you know, young guys like you coming up that are so dedicated to advancing the business side of our profession that, you know, it, when it's time for me to step down as chair, hopefully, as my wife said, by the end of this year. Um, it's so exciting to see where, where the, where this division will go to next. Um, but I do think it's, it's an interesting point that I, I, I want to share with everybody because everyone says, you know, what do you, you know, how can you always do work for free? But ultimately through some of my volunteer work through private practice and all the, you know, the time that you spend mentoring, um, you know, as you go through the level system, that's really how, um, my connections in that, in those two worlds is, is how I was sort of given the opportunity to be the professor at Western is, you know, in teaching the business and entrepreneurship program there, you know, networking at these events and, you know, teaching uh, collaboratively with Jackie Schleifer Taylor at UFT. These are all great opportunities that, you know, really outside of volunteerism, they never would have come to my, you know, into, into the forefront for me as an opportunity. So it just gives you an, op an idea of, of, you know, taking on as many opportunities as possible, but obviously having a, a balance between work life at the same time, which I still have lots to learn there. We also definitely agree with the volunteerism as well. I think that it's a really good way to kind of help develop the profession and um, help build up each other in the profession. And, um, you know, as students, as a lot of physio students did, we started as kind of volunteers, right? We started in the small clinics um, or the hospitals or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. So, 
Um, yeah, I think it's yeah. You you made a you made a comment about um, entrepreneur versus uh, entrepreneur. For our listeners who uh, want to know a little bit more about the difference, that could you describe the differences between those two? Yeah, sure. So this actually, um, some most of most of you guys will know at U of T for sure. So Alan McDonald, who's um, you know your your faculty professor there for the business course and our OPA president. So Alan and I've chatted a long time about you know being an entrepreneur versus an entrepreneur and and kind of analyzing you know what what does this millennial generation of PT look like and and we we've actually come to look at the the comparison between the two and and what everybody will be most familiar with is the entrepreneur side which is you know you identify a gap in the industry and you build something external to the current structure for example so instead of working within a clinic you're looking at the external environment and what's associated with that is you know inherent risk right so um, and there's there's plenty of examples of that and and MPT entrepreneurs actually throughout the entire uh, to the country um, the interesting part though is the entrepreneur side of things and what that means is you're building something that doesn't exist within a current infrastructure so um, so I'll give you an example. So when I was building the mentorship program for PT Health, you know, I had all the resources I needed. I had the administrative support. Um, I actually had some finance that I didn't have personally, but I had the financial sort of backing of the organization in order for me to develop what we believe we needed to do in order to sustain not so not only just recruit but also retain our physios across the country so that sort of just gives you an example of the two um, but for me because I didn't actually have to put any dollars up front um, and it let's say for example if, if that individual project didn't work I wasn't out of work right so therefore the the inherent risk is a lot less but I think where I see a lot of, of you guys especially coming out of school now is you know, we know that, um, you know, the debt of, of six years of, of university um, education is, is a lot. You know, we're still fortunate we're not nearly as high as the U.S. group. However, it's still a lot. So, you know, for people to come out and, and just want to, you know, in, you know, invest a whole bunch of money into, you know, a new endeavor is, is risky for sure. However, what the entrepreneur side is, though, is when you have this this generation of, of motivated, dedicated individuals who who are driven by recognition and and this ability to be autonomous and build and build something? Um, it's it's the entrepreneurial world really really holds holds true to that, and I think this is a great opportunity too. When you look at a lot of uh, clinics across the country, um, so whether it's in the private sector, I'm sure we'll talk about some of the public stuff shortly. But there's such an there's such an appetite for the this type of uh, you know, PT, new grad, or, or just a physio in general to come into an organization and really help that organization pivot or help that clinic pivot to actually start to achieve higher levels of success. And quite frankly, when you think about a community that we would serve is this really expands our service and our, and our you know, recognition as a profession within, you know, a geographical radius of, of a group of, of, of patients or potential patients, I should say. Um, that you guys have the opportunity to help build um, as as entrepreneurs coming out of school. Yeah, definitely. There's there's a ton of opportunity right now for a lot of students, especially to take on these roles that are um, in the changing population. There's a lot of things that we can essentially do within the business side of physiotherapy as well to help um, propel the profession forward. So definitely make some great points on there. And you, you did mention that we might be talking about the, uh, the public side of things and, you know, you do have such a long list of experience of a great experience that you can definitely talk about pretty much any topic in the business and physiotherapy. But I think today definitely we want to kind of ask you about, um, your roles in the public sector because, uh, you've recently transitioned into the public sector working in a hospital. Can you maybe explain a little bit more about your position within the hospital and what you're doing there? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, there's, and before we kind of chat about that, it was, it was interesting. So one of my mentors, um, he, I remember him coming up and he heard how I was doing this transition from, you know, private sector and I was going to jump into the public. Um, and he, he kind of laughed at me. He says, I give you three months there. And I was like, well, all right, I guess it's three months. At least I'll learn something. But, and, you know, it was a world I had never actually seen before. Right. Um, you know, now we're 18 months later and I'm, and I'm still there, but, um, 
you know, it certainly hasn't been a full shift into the public sector. And it's, it's nice to actually have the ability to be, you know, still living and practicing in the private sector and, and working with clinic owners, but then getting a better sense of the, the breadth and the scope of our practice in the public sector. Um, but where I started in the hospital, I actually was recruited to come in and, and manage therapy services um, at the hospital. Um, you know, the, the hospital at that time, which is Grand Community Health Center. And, and, at that, and when I brought, was brought on board, we were only actually managing the one site, which was the Brantford General, um, which then we just actually, we reopened the, um, the Willett Hospital. So it's now a two-site organization, which is, which is pretty exciting for that community. Um, but after that, it was just a temporary contract for me, and that contract um, was renewed. And then during that time, I had, it actually, I was, I was promoted up to a director. So right now, I actually, I still see an expanded uh, health discipline portfolio. So all health disciplines actually report into me um, and my team. And then I also oversee all quality utilization and risk within the organization. So you know, it's a really cool opportunity is, you know, from a health discipline perspective, sitting at a, at an administrative position um, or a leadership role, this is the first time that organization has actually seen, you know, a health discipline at that level, as opposed to it just being, you know, nursing or, or physician. So it's, it's a pretty exciting opportunity for, for our profession in general. And, and the more of that I believe what we see across the country, it's going to put ourselves in a whole new light as a profession and, and actually be, begin to increase our recognition across the, uh, across the, across the country. It's uh, definitely a great step forward in, uh, in terms of uh, creating some opportunities for our profession as well. And it's amazing that you've taken that step. Uh, can you comment on um, what motivated you to get into this role into the public sector and maybe some of the goals you're hoping to achieve by doing this job? Sure. Yeah, it's actually a great question. Um, you know, I, I really had, you know, at that point, I was working, you know, over the 15 clinics and, and having quite success there. And I really enjoyed working with that owner. And, and we, you know, we actually started a separate business at the same time, um, a research business actually around medicine and rehab. But the, the one thing that I think that really motivated me was to truly test my skills at this point in time. So, you know, I knew I had success at mentoring in the private sector and, and I knew that, it, you know, I, I had the operational knowledge and, and performance metrics to actually improve a business. But where, where I wasn't sure was, you know, could I mentor any physio or any discipline? And, and I couldn't answer that question. Um, and, you know, in Slav, you know me from in private practice, usually if I can't answer something, I'm not satisfied with that. Right. Um, but the one piece it was, it's sort of kind of interesting. I always have time, you know, things happen at a particular time. So I actually got recruited at that hospital. Um, they were looking for a manager of therapy services and uh, they just had appointed a new director And a friend of mine actually worked at that hospital. And, and that's how my resume got in that door. And, and next, you know, I had a phone call, um, which I thought was quite interesting. Like, all right, well, why do I want to go to this interview? Cause I had no, no intention of, of leaving with my current position. But what, one of the things that I, I was thinking about myself is, you know, I, I'm about to go and teach at the university and, you know, I, in part of my curriculum with the students at Western is I got to talk to them about, you know, what your first job will look like, you know, what, what's on an interview panel, how do you prepare for that interview? And quite frankly, I had no idea. So I'm trying to teach something that I really don't know anything about. I could, tell you everything of what would happen in a private sector interview and how much, you know, coffee or beer we may have in order for me to determine who I'm going to hire. <laughs> However, I didn't even know what a panel interview looked like. So I remember chatting with my wife and I said, what do I got to lose? I'm just going to go for this interview. And at least I now have some experience that I could give back to my students and going into an interview where, you know, and I, I hope, you know, I think it gave me a better appreciation for what it's like to go into something being very nervous and you're, you know, this is what you want. You know, this is the job that you're looking for versus me. I was in there going, I'm just trying to explore this. So, you know, I want to, what can I gain to teach my students and kind of give back, you know, and be even more effective. Um, and lo and behold, I actually enjoyed the interview. The, the director that was there, um, she was very clear in what she was looking for. And, and, and I was really blunt. Um, I said, look, I, you know, I'm not even really sure if I'm the right fit for this organization. You know, I'm coming from the private sector. I said, you know, for me, I'm going to bring private sector experience into the public sector. So I'm looking at 
how to improve our operations. We need to improve the culture in this organization. And there's a huge need to go outside. And, and because I knew outside of the four walls of the hospital, we need to make sure that we, we focus on partnerships with the community and the private sector. You know, knowing where all the, the clinics around the hospital could support better um, is sort of what my mandate would be of, of coming in. And, and I said, and if that's not really what you guys are looking for, I'm not the right fit. And then I left the interview. I was like, whoa, I don't know if that would have gone so well. Um, and next, you know, I actually was brought in and they said, look, we, we want to hire you. And um, I said, but, they, but we both agreed that, you know, an observational shift or, you know, come on and let's do a tour of the hospital because we wanted to make sure that it was the right fit for both organizations. And, and again, something I always kind of preach to my, to my students is you got to go and see the, you know, the clinic or the organization that you're going to work for. And sometimes that's not always possible in the public sector. But I believe for me, this was an opportunity where, again, my focus was to look at where I can give back more. And it turned out to be a really exciting opportunity. And, and for me, again, testing my ability to mentor, but also looking at my director was outside of our industry um, and had a lot of knowledge and skills that I didn't have that for me, I was, I was looking as another partnership or another coaching opportunity to just improve my, my ability as a, as a professional. Definitely seems like a really good reason to try to make that shift to kind of understand more. I mean, it's definitely one of the ways that at least we think that it's a good way to kind of learn more is just by doing it, right? So definitely mm -hmm. um, great uh, motivating factor to uh, step into the public sector. Now, with your transition to this side, um, what are some challenges that you feel uh, you face working in the private sector, and, uh, public sector, sorry, and how have you been able to adapt to these? Yeah, so there's, so it's sort of a very interesting question. So I think I'll, maybe I'll just start with the environment. So without question, you know, being only ever practicing in the private sector, you know, it's very different, right? So consumerism and customer service is, is very much ingrained in us, you know, right from the beginning. Otherwise, you know, if you're, if you're in a position, especially on the fee split and, you know, you kind of eat what you kill, if you're not treating individuals really well, you know, you're not going to eat. It's sort of the, the, sort of the mantra that exists in the private sector at times. Right. But, but it's something that we get really good at quickly, but you go to an environment where, you know, these individuals that are in the hospital and I would say for all intents and purposes, don't want to be there. Um, so you're never really looking for referrals, but at the same point for me is I never worked in that environment. So it was a little bit um, initially going in a, a little bit of a negative, but then I quickly did my best to turn it into a positive because it, it forced me to learn more about what they do. Uh, more about what our physios were doing as well as all the other health disciplines. Whereas if I was to go into a private clinic and say, Daryl, we need you to you know, assess this clinic and, and tell us what's wrong and how are you going to fix it? I, I very quickly would just go to, this is what I'm going to do. So I would, I would at times be a little bit less collaborative versus what I was forced to do here. Um, you know, I, I didn't know what they did on a daily basis. You know, I hadn't been in the hospital since my first, first placement um, and you know, even my second placement in neuro was, was more at a rehab facility. So again, I was, I haven't been in the acute setting since first year of university. So it, it, it allowed me to set back and or step back, sorry, and, and really process my environment and really think about what my next move was going to be. Um, but coming in as, as the private sector guy and, and unfortunately those stigmas do sort of exist between those two, these two sectors, right? Of, you know, physio in the private sector and physio in the public sector being these two different entities and, you know, f you know, physio in the hospital being stable and physio in the community making money. And, and it's really quite far. All right. I shouldn't say that's, that's probably the wrong way to approach it, but it's so, it's not true. Um, but one of the things that I would say is, as a guy coming in from the private sector, I had to do a lot of trust building. And I was pretty open with the staff um, about, you know, what do you need from me? And their number one reason for me, or their, their number one uh, piece of advice for me was, you need to build trust, you need to communicate. Um, and two things that, you know, come fairly natural, I think, to physios. But again, not having the same background as a lot of the staff that I had, it was important and it took, you know, it took about six months for them to start to trust me, even though we were, you know, just chipping away. So small, small wins. Um, 
in order to get big changes is sort of how I adapted to that environment. The, the culture in the hospital and I, and, you know, chatting with a lot of my, you know, my students and, and as I went across, you know, to different schools in, in Ontario and now having a better understanding of the sector, it's, it's pretty consistent, right? Like there's a lot of cultural negativity at times. And, and I think a lot of it stems from misrepresentation and, and lack of recognition of, of the worth of, of a physiotherapist in the hospital. Um, and, and where we should be, you know, growing to, um, in order to improve some of the health system restraints, but culture was a big challenge. This, this hospital had gone through a couple of transitions of, of a private company running their physio department to that company being, you know, removed and then the hospital taking back over. So there was quite a bit of, of, of cultural change that was required. Um, but I would say the, you know, it's certainly not impossible, but a lot of it was built on trust. So you, if you don't have any trust, you can't change the culture. Um, and there's a lot of great people within the hospital system and you just actually have to work with them to, to get them to identify, you know, where a lot of their great ideas had been kind of hidden and help them bring them out. And those are great ways to, you know, improve our culture. But the one, the one challenge I would say though, that I still struggle with right now um, outside of some, you know, key performance indicators, which I'm, I'm sure we'll get to from listening to some of your other podcasts, is um, is recognition and reward versus performance improvement. Um, you know, when I look at the private sector, it's really, really easy to recognize. You know, if one of you guys is working with me. You know, I know how quickly or how I have the inability and the flexibility to reward and recognize you at any given time, whether it's in just a simple email, whether it's, uh, you know, giving you some extra dollars to do a course or whether it's, it is fiscal. Um, but at the same point in time, I can also performance manage you really quickly um, if I'm not liking where things are going. So there's just an opportunity to, to, to reward and, and recognize and, and quite frankly to, you know, not to put it into a huge negative context, but if, if we need to go to a termination, that can happen. Um, but here, there's a lot of focus always been on, you know, this, this particular individual is not performing well, but you don't have the same capacity in the hospital to recognize and reward like we would as easily in the, in the private sector. So really trying to still adapt to that model and figure out other strategies because you need to recognize those individuals that are doing good work and that are, that are going above and beyond. Otherwise, they're going to burn out. And if you burn out your key, you know, your key performers or your high performers, it'll actually bring down the whole team. Right. So it's an, it's an area that I'm certainly still trying to, to adjust to. Yeah, for sure. And uh, definitely uh, when you're coming from the private sector into the public sector, it helps to bring a fresh perspective into how things are done. And once you take a look at uh, the systems in the public sector, you'll be able to uh, revolutionize the system and take it in a better direction. Uh, just taking a look at more global um, aspects of the healthcare system, can you just comment on the current state of it, the public healthcare system? And uh, in terms of the physios, are the physiotherapists being uh, used effectively? And if not, what kind of um, changes are you trying to implement to improve on the situation? Mm -hmm. No, that's a great question. Um, and, I, and I think the, the one piece that you, you talked about just kind of leading into this question is, you know, having a fresh set of eyes on, on a system, right. Or, or on, you know, a particular program. And the one thing that I do find is quite interesting is the public sector seems to have this, this mantra that, you know, this is how we've always done things. Um, and, you know, with one of the things that you guys will learn in school so far is we know the system has huge fiscal constraints, right. And, and, and it's not a sustainable, you know, healthcare system moving forward, but it doesn't mean that we're doomed. But when I, when I look at that, you know, when I see physiotherapy as a, as a profession, as, as, a, as a solution, not even a potential solution, it actually is a solution to some of the challenges that we see in our system. Um, but there's no way that you can do it in the current state of how our profession is operated in the, in the, in the hospital system and expect that that's going to be the solution to improve the healthcare constraints. Because if, if the current model that we were, you know, we're actually practicing was the correct model, we wouldn't have so many fiscal challenges, right? That's sort of how I've always viewed it. So not to say that, you know, certain components of, of programs and, and services aren't, you know, in their best format right now. But when you look at it from a systems approach, there's more to be done, you know, and, and what we've seen so far, you know, in the hospital, 
you know, across the globe, we know this. And, and again, same thing in, in our country is, you know, there's increasing patient volumes on a regular basis. You know, we're seeing higher levels of complexity and, and multimorbidity. You know, I look at some days when I, I'll do a little walk through the hospital and, and you know, or I, I go down to the emergency department to see, okay, what's going on in the, in the ER today and where, you know, what, what can physio do to improve this process? Um, it, it amazes me that like, the average patient age is like 86. And it's like, how is that possible, right? Like, so when you think about it and the level of, of complexity that we actually have to deal with, but interestingly, I believe physio is so well-versed with understanding systems and our clinical reasoning skills and capacity are not fully utilized yet, you know, in, in the public sector, um, uh, you know, in all facets that we could be involved with. But I think the other piece, though, that's, that's changing dramatically right now, you know, when we already have some of these other um, challenges based on funding and, you know, these, these volumes that are so hard to manage, you know, you're almost running out of real estate space in a hospital. But we also have to appreciate that people are becoming consumers of healthcare. You know, the days of it being, you know, when, you, when I was in school, we were having this debate between, do we call it a patient or a client, right? You know, and then, you know, I think for the most part, at least in rehab, you know, we're in the private sector, we've at least come to terms with this client piece. But now we're sort of dancing between client versus consumer of healthcare. And it doesn't really sit well. However, it's reality. Um, and now you're looking at a world where, yeah, you're treating a consumer of healthcare as your patient, but in the public sector, where I think the highest challenge exists for us is you're also dealing with, with families and caregivers that are, that are becoming more demanding and, and they're demanding because they have access to so many resources and, and, you know, Dr. Google tells them that this is what should happen, but you know, these individuals are much more complex than just you know, what Dr. Google says and, and understanding how to, the continuum of care works from an acute care facility into a rehab facility, into home care, you know, into the private sector, you know, those are all siloed off areas that have created a lot of, a lot of challenges for, for the system to be efficient. Um, and this is sort of what, what I think is another challenge with the current state is, you know, we're going through this health system, you know, funding reform, and we've seen a shift of money from acute episodic care into the community. But the part that I'm so, um, I, I, was, I was surprised about is just the lack of understanding of how that works in the public sector and the impact of that. It sort of seemed that it, sit at, it sat at this leadership level and it never really was brought down to the frontline staff. So you know, a lot of the questions that I would ask going in there is, tell me about the impact of us doing it this way would have on, on the dollars and cents. And, and there really wasn't a good understanding of you know, patient-based funding and all these new this, this sort of new reform that's being brought out and, you know, integrated funding models of care and, you know, QBPs, all this stuff that you guys were exposed to in school. But that lack of understanding at times is, is a little bit dangerous because you don't know what you don't know. And when I've seen the physio departments get, you know, shut down in the past, it's really due to the fact of it wasn't run efficiently and effectively. And hence, we've just lost more, you know, clinical resources and clinical expertise that again, would be helping improve the flow of patients and the utilization in, in the hospital. Um, to, to answer your question, though, about are, are PTs being used effectively? Um, and if not, what am I doing about it? It's, it's interesting. So I think, you know, I'm, I'm sure if, if you asked any of my staff, I'm, I'm certainly harder on the physios than I, I probably am on some of the other health disciplines just for the sheer fact that as a PT, you know, I have this, I have this ego that we should be doing more. And, and for me, when I look at our current scope of practice and the recognition of our discipline, it's, you know, physio certainly seen, is seen as an important entity and, you know, we are there seven days a week, but, you know, I still don't think that we're considered a fully essential service yet because we're not practicing to, the, to a higher level of scope and, and, and kind of getting the recognition that we deserve, or at least that we have the capacity to do. Um, you know, there really isn't the operational efficiencies and the, and the key performance indicators to in, in all areas of the hospital and in, in amongst our profession to, to show where, where our effectiveness really is. However, I'll give you a couple examples of, you know, before we, before I came there is, you know, we had to build some business cases and, and attaching the physiotherapy service. So, and I think everybody has to appreciate that physiotherapy in a hospital is not just physiotherapist. It's, it's, it's an integrated collaborative model. So it's physiotherapist 
and, you know, physiotherapy assistant. And it, it's one of those pieces that it, it just, it's now part of the model. But we looked at that and remember PT must drive that model of care, right? Because without that assessment regulate from a regulatory perspective, there is no assistant model. And it's important to get that across. You know, we can have a, a whole other podcast on how you know important, you know, educating people in the hospital is around the role of physiotherapy and, and what a regulated discipline can do. But at the same point in time, when you actually build a business case, you know, this model of care is so important that it actually, you know, after one year, we, you know, we spend roughly, uh, you know, just to keep the numbers simple, like 250, 250,000. And the end result is a savings of 3.2 million. So I have a hard time understanding why anybody would ever consider removing physiotherapy from a hospital position. But when you, you know, when you, we, if you don't look with the operational lens or you don't have that fiscal sort of, um, you know, viewpoint on to, onto a program or a model of care, it's really easy just to say, oh, that, you know, let's just get rid of that because it looks like it's a cheaper, a cheaper solution to just get rid of some of your expenses. Right. But it's, it's, it's so important to look at, you know, the, the downward impact of what that could be. But the other, the other biggest challenge for me um, is just looking at, at the model of care related to, you know, when is physio in the building? Um, you know, from, you know, coming from a private practice perspective, um, you know, I, my busiest times were first thing in the morning and after four o'clock, right? Because people are coming into my clinic and my practice after work. So, you know, you, you need to be working. For me, I always work three evenings a week. Um, so, you know, then we're even getting into Saturdays now because the demand is so high for us, but this is a piece where I've always questioned, you know, we have, you have individuals sitting in the hospital, you know, 24 seven, you know, we really want to improve our recognition in the organization. And, and it's, it's not sort of a, a, a piece to push, you know, PTs to say, Hey, you all have to work longer days. It's a matter of, we need to create a model where physios are present more often, or at least our assistants can be present more often as well to, to increase our, you know, our, our, our bandwidth within an organization. But, you know, most physio, um, physio programs in, in acute care settings have gone to a seven day model of care. But again, we're still only present, you know, in, in many cases for eight hours a day. You know, we have, we have rehab units who have personal support workers there longer than we have physiotherapy services. So, you know, we really need to actually look at expanding that, that blueprint a little bit further and how do we work on getting physios seven days a week in those organizations for 12 hours a day. Um, you know, the, there's guidelines that support it, but we're not hitting those guidelines yet. So again, it's just one of those pieces of, you know, looking at a, a full picture um, and building a business case around the need to sustain our role. And, and quite frankly, I'm not even too concerned about sustaining our role right now. It's, it's how do we increase and expand our role in order to actually help with the fiscal constraints on the organizations. Um, but I guess, sorry for the long-winded answer, but I'm just thinking, you know, how can we improve as, as physios? Um, and I think this is a great thing for you guys to take away. And, you know, for those that want to get into the public sector is, is don't has, you know, don't ever hesitate at taking a casual position because the work on evenings and weekends is going to expand. It's, it's needed. Um, you know, the other you know, piece of advice that I would have for you guys is don't get caught up in the negative culture. You know, you guys have sure have all seen it on the, you know, on your, your hospital placements and stuff. And, and again, for me, it's just getting, you know, building trust with the, with those particular individuals on your team and start looking at new ways of doing things and how you can be creative and innovative and move away from the mantra of this is the way it's always been done. Most people think that the hospital is so stuck in its ways that it can't change. And it's interesting because it's, it's actually quite far from the truth. You know, if you, if you have the right voice, you can get to those big important tables. And interestingly enough, you guys are really important to bring that creativity, that innovation and that drive to start to, you know, pivot an organization that quite frankly takes so long to, to actually adjust and, and to turn. Right. Um, and this is sort of the piece where I challenge our staff on a regular basis is step outside of that comfort zone. Um, you know, elevate your scope and, you know, and I expect that all of our clinicians, you know, we're all practicing to our full scope of practice. And then we're going to start looking at how are we evolving our scope of practice and are we getting into an expanded scope? And again, creating a much stronger voice for what the visual profession is doing across, you know, 
all sectors in the entire continuum of care. So hopefully that wasn't too too drawn out, guys. Hope that was okay. <laughs> no, no, that was a that was a great answer. You, you definitely brought up a lot of really important points and the whole challenging the status quo. I mean, that's one of the ways how physiotherapists even got to the table, right? I mean, I remember in one of our classes they were saying, um, I think it was um, Barbara Gibson or one of our professors was talking about how back then, you know, it was all doctors around the table and then physiotherapists were kind of like had a seat beside the wall. And so it's kind of, that's how hospitals, you know, evolved from that point to this point there was some challenging of the status quo that happened. So I think that it's really important that, yeah, the status quo is challenged for the right reasons. Um, and, you know, we do kind of try to implement what you were saying, just new innovative ways of doing things so that we're utilizing all these, um, the resource, the finite resources that we get within healthcare appropriately and to maximize the use. And you've mentioned a few times talking about, you know, the fiscal constraints and uh, how, uh, you know, you need to be managing these resources within the hospital. So I'm, I'm assuming that from your transition from the private sector, because I know in the private sector, a lot of clinics you know, they have to be looking at their performance metrics and key performance indicators. I want to ask whether you are doing the same thing and what are some of the important performance metrics that you are keeping track of and how do you do that within the hospital setting? Yeah, so that's a, it's a great question. Um, and I think one of the, the pieces that kind of l- kind of links into the, you know, the physician table piece well, and, you know, PT always having a backseat or, you know, sometimes, you know, even just getting into the room, right, is there's so many opportunities, you know, within all sectors where there's great physician and, and rehab partnership and collaboration. And, and I've seen a lot of it where the, where the, the physicians are actually just leaving it up to the, to the physio to make the final decisions on, you know, when is a patient able to safely to go home or to go back to sport or work. Um, but we don't leverage that across, you know, all, all different areas and programs, right? So it's just an opportunity that already proves that we have the skill set to do that. We just now need to expand it even further. Um, but a lot, of that's, a lot of that relationship comes from proving that what we're doing or in those partnerships, we've, we've improved efficiencies and we're still being effective. Um, and one of the, you know, from a key performance indicator, when you look at fiscal responsibility, the one piece that people get hung up on in the hospital or, or really anywhere in the country, when we talk about the current system is, you know, we have to do more for less, right? And I think we take that too, too closely or, or too personally, like, you know, geez, how can I as a physio do more work and I'm getting paid for less or that you're asking me to see more patients and I'm, and I'm not getting any more dollars or any more bodies, and I think we actually have to take a step back and look at that as a system level, right? So when I think of more for less, I look at it as, as we're, when you think of the dollars that would be put forward on, on physiotherapy versus somebody being in a hospital bed unnecessarily because they didn't get good primary care, you know, they didn't, they didn't have a proactive approach to health and, and chronic disease management. That actually is us just doing our regular job, but just having more of us around at a, at a point of primary care and we actually would create less strain on the, or we would reduce some of the strain on the healthcare system. So physios need to not necessarily look at, you know, from a, from strictly a workload perspective, I need to now do more. We should be looking at what can we do to actually prevent people from coming into the hospital. So we do reduce some of the strain on the system. And, and that sort of a, will kind of bring into the first KPI that I would suggest is so important in the hospital, just like it is in the private sector is utilization and workload. Um, and, it, and it's tricky because the statistics in the hospital um, are, are, are hard to, are actually hard to get. Um, you know, they're not as streamlined as what I would see in the private clinic. And, and, you know, we have all these great practice management softwares or, you, you know, you can create your own Excel documents and scorecards and, and easily access data and, and kind of manipulate data very easily. Where in the hospital, you know, you've got all these multiple levels, right? So you've got to go through a decision support, your team has to input them. So it's a little bit clunkier to, to get. And a lot of the data that we've seen or what I've seen and what I've analyzed isn't necessarily meaningful. So if you were to sit down and you talk to the staff, what does this mean to you? They're like, ah, oh, we have no idea. So there's really no, no strong um, prioritization for it. It's almost just a mundane task where they would rather be seeing a patient 
And quite frankly, I, I can't blame them. So one of the pieces that we've had to look at is, okay, what is, what's meaningful data? How do we improve that? And I've uh, just recently brought on a new fit manager of therapy services that as well as a physio from the private sector and, and he and I are going to partner on this and again, taking it to a new level of looking at our utilization data, because we need to, we need to start thinking that, okay, we have more people to see. We need to start looking at, are we being more efficient and effective with the patients that we're seeing? So, you know, that utilization ties into length of stay quite quickly. Um, or really they're, I would say that they're, they're, they're quite related in the fact of if I was to compare that to what I would be looking at in the private sector, I'd be looking at, you know, patient visit average and, and it's always been this business metric, but quite realistically, it's not necessarily a business metric to say whether you're doing good or bad. It's actually for me to look at, are your patients completing their plan of care based on your diagnosis and your prognosis or, or predicted outcome, however you want to manage that. Whereas when I look at length of stay in the hospital, a lot of times people are looking at it to say, well, you know, we can't get them out too early because they won't do well. But we don't have trust in the in the continuum of care to say we are going to start to reduce length of stay in the hospital because we know these patients are going to be followed in the community and then followed in the private sector. Um, so length of stay is certainly one that we look at. And, you know, the example that I gave earlier of, you know, 250K saving, you know, 3.2 million, um, that's, that's strictly reducing length of stay through a physiotherapy model. Um, and conserving bed days. And that's huge, huge dollars saved for the, for the hospital. Um, as you guys mentioned earlier, just, you know, surely looking at budgets and financial statements and is, is a critical step. And, and, and it's, it's one of those pieces too, where, you know, it's, it's always been, you know, hidden from a lot of the staff, but one of the things that I would do is where, or what I've done is where I can be more transparent I, I share with them on a regular basis where i think we are in a budgeting perspective and from financials what would happen if you know we do this type of program or we don't do this type of program if we don't improve in efficiency what impact that would have on the department and i think you know when people understand a bit more of what the financial context is again it's it's a way that you can actually build your culture and at least your morale a little bit further um one of the other metrics though that i always look at is you know as the saying goes, you know, you have a happy, happy wife is a happy life. But, um, you know, I think same thing too is, you know, if we've got a happy staff and, and the culture's good, the staff morale's good, you know, you can certainly measure those. But then again, your performance goes way up. And, and I would say it's, it's, it's a little bit tougher than change, you know, it's, or I would say it's easier to change that quickly in the private sector. And it's a little bit, it's a little bit more of a, of a challenge in the public sector because you're dealing with such a larger you know, staff in, in any given department, but it's doable. Um, and a lot of it, you know, again, relies on communication and, and building trust, but it is something that I've measured on a regular basis. Um, and just like you guys would know, and, and then lots of guys on your podcast previously, and I know Sanjeev talked about it. Um, and I haven't actually listened to Jesse's podcast yet, but I'm sure he would have talked about patient experience and customer service, right? So, you know, you can use those tools as well. So if you look at, you know, I'm sure, I'm pretty sure Sanjeev talked about the net promoter score, but just like you're doing that to measure your patient experience, I use that tool actually coming to the hospital to get a sense of what is the staff's experience right now as an employee. And, and you can apply those same, that same principle and, and measure your improvement over time. So, you know, don't always think that these tools are specifically unidimensional. It's, it's definitely a multidimensional, um, um, KPI that you can build and grow upon. But the other thing though, just like I would reward you guys in, in a private clinic and say, holy geez, like, you know, you're a brand new grad and I get that you have no experience and blah, blah, blah. However, your patient experience scores or your patient happiness scores are through the roof and they're better than some of my senior staff. What are you doing? That's, 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 you know, so well. And um, the same thing happens in the hospital, right? You're, you're looking at your experience and your customer service scores. Um, but it's not as easy as, as, um, as just collecting it before your patient leaves their first appointment, right? In the clinic, you've got to go through a patient relations office and, and there's just a lot more steps, right? To capture your data, but you just base it off of compliments and complaints. Um, and I would say is, you know, I oversee that, that office at the hospital and, and you get a lot more complaints than you get compliments. But the truth is, is just the compliments don't funnel through as easily, right? They're there. 
Um, and we see great, great things in the, in, you know, from, especially from a physio perspective. And it's my job is to do, well, actually my role is to do a better job of bringing those out. And again, that funnels back into your morale and culture. So those are, those are some of the key metrics that I currently look at on a regular basis. And, and I'm sure there's more, um, but again, bringing in the collaboration of, of another team player who's got some skills that you don't have as well to you know, build you know, the support structure for this department even further will, will open up the, um, our ability to measure performance on a, you know, in a much more positive light. Yeah, definitely. So you've spoken in regards to the key performance metrics to how you've been able to implement them systematically. And uh, you seem to be running your life as a very well-oiled machine, like a system where you've been able to really integrate everything that you've been doing along the same path of uh, um, mentorship and uh, private practice. So I was wondering if you could tell us uh, why you decided to start Mentorship Bootcamp while you seem to have a stable career and a stable position in the first place. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So I think, one of my biggest pieces where, where people have asked me all the time, you know, what are you, what are you going to do with your career and, and, and what do you want to do? You know, for, you know, starting out as being a guy that only wanted to really focus on clinical, uh, you know, cur- you know, finish my fellowship and, and, you know, kind of be that, you know, the best kind of PT I could be. But I, I kept hearing that all the time and it used to actually drive me crazy. I'm like, wow, man, I wasn't in the army. And, and again, it's, it's one of those pieces that we all have that same outlook. And, but then for me, it's about what I'm starting to challenge myself, you know, what, what, what do I want to do more? So I came into profession where I wanted to, to help people, but then you realize that you're only an N of one. Um, and through a lot of, I could say positive, but also hard mentorship over the years of, of people suggesting to you, well, yeah, you're doing okay, but I don't, I think you could have done better. Um, you know, you either crawl up and whine about it, or you just take it, you know, take it on the chin and you're like, okay, I'm going to do this better. Um, and I've always sort of had this thought, this, this, you know, voice in the back of my head is, is I need to pay it forward is, um, you know, I'm an N of one, but if I mentor 10 physios, that's now an N of 10, right? And then if those physios go and mentor 10 of themselves, there's a, there's an N of a hundred. So for me, I've always wanted to have this pay forward approach because I figured if I can instill my, my passion and my skills into someone who also has their own level of skills and expertise, it just creates a much more powerful army. And, and for me, I, I want to, I see so much benefit in our profession. Um, uh, you know, an, 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 like a multifaceted level that that's sort of what made me want to still go in and, and identify, you know, and build a, build a boot camp or build, build a, uh, an online coaching platform that can really instill some of that, that, those skills and strength from a business acumen perspective. So we can continue to kind of, you know, march or march our profession forward. Um, you know, another, another key piece for me was, you know, kind of having this director position at the same point is just seeing more and more opportunity and more and more gaps that we, we are solutions for, but we're not at the tables to actually build those um, sustainable models and, and having this opportunity to coach people in both public and private sector just puts PT at a much higher level, um, you know, cr- elevates our profession and, and, and helps people realize that taking a chance or, or being creative and innovative is, is, is a good thing, not something that you should shy away from. And, um, and I think, you know, the other piece when I look at it from, you know, what do you do to give back to the profession and, and advance their profession is I was very fortunate over the years to have lots of great clinical mentors and lots of experts taught me. Um, and they, we continue to see more and more individuals, you know, enter the field and into the educational system. So I felt, you know, we don't need necessarily just another, you know, clinical um, educator because I was, I think our, our field is very strong with those, with those types of individuals. For me, I, where I saw a, a big gap for us was just in the, just in that business acumen, you know, side of, of what we do. And, and yeah, you, you don't necessarily have to follow, you know, and be a, you know, the next, you know, big business, you know, male or female, or, you know, you don't have to open the next network of clinics, but no matter what sector you're in, you, if you have a caseload, you're running a business, whether you're an employer or a contractor. And, uh, one of my, uh, mentors, um, 
Kathleen Norman, who's, who's our faculty member at Queens. She did some work with the College of Physios um, in, I think it was 2015. And one of her biggest pieces of advice after this large project she worked on was we need to, you know, PTs of the future require more business acumen. And, and that for me is something where, you know, we can teach, teach people how to understand metrics a little bit better, but learn how those metrics from a business perspective apply to, you know, patient outcomes and customer service and start to build a business acumen mindset in people. If you, if you, if you can appreciate the business side of things and you can, and you can assess the business side of things really well, it just improves your clinical performance any day of the week. And that was a part for me that I thought I needed to build something where I continue to evaluate gaps and I continuously build solutions um, for, for individuals as they kind of, as they go through their career. So my question um, to wrap things up right now is um, what do you think the number one reason for knowing business knowledge is or why it's so important to know about business knowledge in the hospital or the public sector? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so, I think I think the piece there. It's always been assumed that if you work into the into the public sector, you don't have to worry about business, right? And then what I've been able to list or, or sort of analyze over time is that's almost kind of our Achilles heel in the public sector, right? So you think you know you hear a lot of times that people will say, oh, they're shutting down departments and you know PTs, you know, well if they just walk patients or you know. You know, we don't even use the proper language when where people don't think we walk people instead of ambulating them. Um, but a lot of times, it's it's just easy to to remove that from from a model of care because people just don't think that they need to understand the dollars and cents and how the funding flows and and what our impact is on the business. Um, so I think you know one of the things that we need to get across, and and it's something that starts right actually at the at our entry level curriculum, is that we need everybody to realize that business acumen and respect for that business side of healthcare and consumerism is, is critical. Um, you know the without consideration of that and looking at the clinical operations, you know structures and processes, you know finances and those KPIs it poses significant risk for sustainability of, of your job, you know, how well a clinic does in a department. Um, but it, I think it's, it's us even doing a different role, I think at times and, and even, you know, I'm trying to think of new ways to do it in uh, even when teaching at the university and, and, you know, I always try to reach out to, to the students afterwards. So, you know, what could we have done better to, to support you as you started in your career? But I think sometimes we just do it globally as opposed to giving individuals tools to say, okay, if you're going to go into the hospital or you're going to go into the private sector, or you're going to go into the home care or private home care is what are you looking at in order to be sure that one, you're sustainable, what your current you know, model of care or what your current performance looks like is actually, um, you know, giving good outcomes, but at the same point, if you look at your outcomes, are you still able to, you know, drive a revenue and profit in order so that you still remain into this role? Um, one of the things that I always say to individuals in, in both sectors is it's, it would be, it's amazing that you're such a great clinician, but if you can't keep your lights on, I just, you just lose a very powerful tool. Um, and standing in the hospital, right. It's a matter of, it's really easy for, you know, an administrator or, you know, the CFO to say to you, okay, cut your budget by 5% next year, which is common. How do you, how do you manage that? So really having people understand the business side of everything that they do um, and the impact that they have is so critical because really decisions when it comes down to finance come down to the business knowledge of the individuals that are actually working within the organization or the clinic um, and making sure that, you know, if you guys are, are the clinic owners or the leaders or the managers um, or, you know, you're the CEO, you understand it from a business context. What we have to do is make sure that we can translate business metrics into what I consider physio-appropriate or physio-friendly metrics. So we're actually talking on the same page. And it's, it's 100% doable and it creates an opportunity to educate and teach at the same time while you're actually learning some parts of their skill and where they have successes and challenges. So that's where I kind of would hopefully answer your question well enough, Sarush, around, um, you know, what's the relevance in, in, you know, business and understanding and applying business in all sectors, especially the hospital. 
Yeah, for sure. And it's, uh, you've made some amazing points throughout this uh, podcast and um, really appreciate how you've been able to take that knowledge from the private practice and uh, apply it to the public sector as well and really try to re revolutionize some of the systems that have been present in the public sector. Um, so thank you for the podcast. Just as the last question, Daryl, uh, where can we find you on social media and some of your uh, ventures as well? Yeah, uh, but, but I guess before I do that, thanks you guys. I really appreciate uh, you putting this all together for for our community um, and physio in general. I think it's super exciting to see what you guys are building and and you know reaching out to individuals across the country and and you're identifying what I think is a lot of the the best and brightest and even just the expertise that exists in Canada when everybody tends to think of you know business influencers as everybody outside of of the Canadian outside of Canada, if you will. And we see lots of influencers outside of our country. So congratulations to you guys. Um, as far as, you know, what, you. what do I, what I look at is, you know, I tend to be on the road a lot, right? So I, I'm not the best guy to sort of identify books. Um, but for me, what, one of the things that I'll, I'm sort of a podcast guy these days. And one of the, one of the two things that I, or two, two that I tend to, to follow right now is, is an empire podcast show, which is, um, from Bajor's Coolian. So he's, he's the guy that started, um, you know, the fitness business summit. And one of the things that I like about his, his podcast is it, it brings in a lot of experts and, and people who've had other successes or, or actually challenges that they then rebounded. Um, you know, his show's all about in, installing or instilling structure, creating legacies and building an empire. So sort of a piece of that resonates with me quite well. And, and again, it's, it's easy because it, it gives me lots of entrepreneurial ideas and, and, you know, challenges me to say, am I even doing this right? Um, and there's another actual podcast that I do like to listen to. It's called early to rise by Greg Ballantyne. And he's, he's actually, a, I believe him and, and uh, Bedros are partners, but one of his things is the productivity, a productivity um, podcast and sort of link linking towards what's a perfect day and, and challenge you to think, you know, are you being a, a top performer and, and how you're structuring your day. Um, and when you realize at times there's, you know, in order to be more productive and effective, you know, maybe you may have to just change how you go through your day to day, um, you know, and what's comfortable. And again, push yourself outside of your, your comfort zone. And, and these two podcasts certainly challenge me on a daily basis. Yeah, we'll definitely be checking out those podcasts. They seem like um, pretty great, especially we've heard some great things about uh, the fitness industry and the type of business knowledge they bring um, bring to that industry. Um, so as the final wrap-up, we were wondering how the listeners can get in touch with you. Do you have an oh, yeah, that was the, that was your actual real question, eh? So, um, yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. I guess I should just, you know, um, I guess I should listen. That's one of the things that I'm trying to do better. Um, but, uh, so how? Yeah, you guys. So the, you know, any obviously you can get a hold of me through the private practice division at any time. And but as as far as you know, the social media goes, you know, on Instagram is where you'll find me, you know, the most active. So it's just at Daryl Yardley. Um, and then as far as the, uh, mentorship bootcamp goes, you know, you can, any point in time, you can always reach out to me through, through bootcamp and, and I'm always happy to have a, what, what I consider sort of a coaching strategy call with any, any physio that's interested. So, you know, we even just chat, um, chat shop and, and it's sort of one of my favorite things to do is, you know, talk about physio with physios and, and where, where they're going to take our profession next. So anytime you can, you can catch me there. And, and again, you know, Part of the inspiration too behind uh, the ebook that's on bootcamp was from from my students at Western suggesting to me that you know you'll, there's always so much great content but we don't always have the ability to to you know negotiate contracts and and talk about what we think is an appropriate mentorship program when we graduate you know can you put it into a book for us and 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 it, it certainly wasn't a difficult thing to do it was just you needed somebody to push you to do it so I you know I actually owe that book a lot to, to my past students that, that encouraged me to do that. And, and again, it just allows me to, you know, have that pay, pay it forward mentality to, to make sure that I, you know, we set the stage well for our, our next generation of, of PTs that, you know, will move us forward into, you know, bigger and better things. Uh, yeah, Daryl, we just have less. Um, yeah, Daryl, uh, thank you so much for providing uh, some of your social media links. And I'm sure a lot of, um, 
listeners would want to reach out to you to ask some questions about what you've done in the private practice as well as your role in the public sector as well because you have definitely a wealth of knowledge uh, but it's been a massive massive pleasure to have you on the podcast and um, to speak with such an educated individual and so knowledgeable about the business as well so thank you so much you yeah, no problem thank thanks you so guys much, no thanks i appreciate the uh, the opportunity and your and and the work that you guys have done i i, I wish you guys tons of success and and you will have success in your uh, as you're about to start your career in about I guess three months away. Um, but just another, I just want to wish you another, uh, you know, best of luck there, Slava, as you, as Russia takes on Croatia today at what, 2 PM. So the yeah. underdogs, <laughs> thank the you underdogs. We'll so see much if for it. the final. Definitely excited. <laughs> yeah, that would be insane. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be super happy. Yeah. All right, guys, but you guys keep up, keep up the great work. Thank you everyone for tuning in to the PTBC podcast. Hope you enjoyed the episode today. Please check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at our website, ptbusinesscorner.com. Feel free to send us a message on social media or email us at info at ptbusinesscorner.com. See you next time.